Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, let's get into it. I got very little time, so you're gonna have to listen quick, all right? Uh, if you are joining us for the first time or uh, maybe you've been out for the last few weeks, we have been in a series called By Faith, The Sequel. And we are calling it The Sequel because uh, we are diving back into these two words that God gave us at the beginning of 2022 as kind of a prophetic guide for all we believed God wanted to do this year. Uh, if you were with us back in January, you might recall we studied through the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, and we looked at this genealogy, the, the hall of faith, men and women who accomplished great things on earth, left a legacy as a result of their faith. Uh, But each of their stories started out with two words, the words that were our theme, by faith. Said by faith, uh, Abel gave a a sacrifice that was more acceptable. Enoch was uh, by faith raised up to, to heaven before he ever tasted death. By faith, Abraham went to a place without knowing where he was going. And on and on the stories went by faith, by faith, by faith. And we asked ourselves a simple question at the beginning of the year. If those two words were to precede our story, how would it read? If, if the totality of our life was distilled down into a single statement on an epitaph, what would it say you and I accomplished by faith? Because ultimately, God did not just call a group of men and women in history past to live great lives of faith. Come on, here now in 2022, he has called us to live by faith and not by sight, to step out of the boat and onto the waters, to take some risks for the kingdom of God, to not get comfortable, to elevate our expectations, to go beyond what seems possible, That that is the life of the kingdom. He's called all of us to live by faith. And as we stepped into that thought, we asked ourselves, how do we personalize this? What does it look like to be a person who lives in that kind of way? But as we approached our anniversary a couple of weeks ago, I just could not shake the fact that we were not done with that subject, that there was still more God wanted to do. I'm grateful for what's happened thus far this year. We've seen some miracles. We've seen some steps of faith but I couldn't shake this thought that there was so much more God wanted to do, not in the distant future, but now, right now in the next 90 days before the clock strikes midnight on December 31st. More opportunities, more miracles, more healings, more names in this box that don't know Jesus yet, that need to bow a knee as we were singing about just a moment ago. There's more, but all of that is unlocked by faith. And and so we decided to conclude 2022 the same way we started it, we're going back into this theme and we're discussing once again, hey, how do we, how do we finish this year well by faith? Um, however, this time we are not using Hebrews chapter 11 as our guide. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we are using our own anthem, a song that we wrote, self-titled by faith, uh, and the scriptures that inspired the lyrics of that song as our catalyst for every single one of these sermons. So if you haven't downloaded it yet, you should repent right now and uh, get on iTunes or Spotify or Napster or MySpace or whatever you got and get that thing in your, uh, in, in your arsenal because we're going to be using it a lot. Uh, today, the lyric I want to use is actually the opening lyric of the song, and uh, it's where we sing this. It was, by faith, a blind man cried for mercy, and you gave sight. It was by faith that a blind man cried for mercy, and you gave sight. Uh, That blind man has a name and he has a story. And today we're gonna look at his story in this fourth installment of our series. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Mark chapter 10. Uh, If not, fear not, it will come up on the screen. Uh, It reads this in verse 46. Then they reached Jericho 
And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, that's what his name meant, uh, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Every time I read that phrase, I immediately think of Uncle Jesse in full house. Have mercy. <laughs> Anyone old enough to remember that? Yeah, come on. Okay, these are my people. They won't know what it is at the next service. It'd be great. Uh, be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said, come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Uh, you'll notice from the screen there that I underlined two very specific lines in this text, two statements. The first made by Bartimaeus, where he says, son of David, have mercy on me. And the second by Jesus, where he responds and says, Bartimaeus, it was your faith that has healed you. Uh, the reason I underline both of those statements is because I believe that together they display how this cry for mercy from a blind man was in fact the evidence of his faith. And, and I think what we're going to see today is that many of us in the room probably have a similar cry in our hearts. And, and so I want to title this chat. Um, if you've been here thus far, you know I've got a bit of a rhythm going here. Uh, we, we went with the first one, here comes the robe. And then the second one, here comes the rain. Jazzy screwed things up last week and didn't follow suit, but that's fine. Today, I'm gonna borrow a, a line from the 1969 anthem of the Beatles. And using this phrase, son of David, I wanna call it with a slight spelling variation, here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. All right, good, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Let's pray as we get into this. Father, we love you today, and we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that this is not some ancient, dead, lifeless book that we turn to and rehearse and regurgitate without any power or meaning, but according to your own word, it has the power to transform us. It cuts to the heart of where we're living. I read it even in Isaiah this week that your word never returns void. Every time it goes out, it always produces what you intend for it to produce. And so today we ask as we share your word together uh, that you would transform our minds and therefore transform our hearts so that we can leave this place changed. We love you and we thank you for this invitation to live by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Um, I, I don't know if this is a, uh, something unique to my home or this is something that all parents do, but um, for whatever reason, Robin and I, we never actually use our children's real names when we refer to them. There's about a dozen different like abbreviations and nicknames that we've given to our kids, actually probably more than that. And we never actually use their real names when referring to them. Does anyone else do that? Do you got like 40 names for your kids? Okay. Which is funny when you think about it because most parents, like we spend a lot of time thinking about the names we're going to give to our children. We're really intentional about it, especially these days. People name their kids with a lot of weird stuff, but there's always like meaning behind it, right? And so 
Like if we spent all that time, you'd think we'd use their names more often, but we don't. For, for example, my, my oldest daughter, um, her name is Eleonora. And that's a very unique and special name to us because uh, it came by way of a trip to Italy before my um, grandfather, Joseph D'Ambrosio. That's right, I'm half Italian. You're welcome. That's why I have so much hair and a big nose. Uh, and uh, he wanted to bring our whole family on a trip to Italy before he passed away. And he knew that we were trying to have children while we were there. And he was convinced we were gonna conceive in Italy. Uh, and so Robert and I had babies on the brain the whole time while we were there. Don't get weird, okay? I heard you guys giggling. Okay, whatever. We've all been through the biology class. We know how it works, all right? So uh, we, we had babies on the brain while we were in Italy, and uh, we were on a train one day heading from Venice to Florence, and this little girl comes running up to her grandfather, and she says, Papa, Papa, Papa. And he looked back at her, this little olive-skinned, green-eyed girl, and he said, Eleonora. And we're like, that's the name, <laughs> So later on, when we did conceive, and our little olive-skinned, green-eyed girl came out, we're like, Eleonora. And we gave her the middle name, Jean, to honor Robin's late grandfather, Jean. Eleonora Jean. And then a couple of years later, when Livy was born, uh, we gave her the name Livy Josephine to honor my late grandfather, who never got a chance to meet her, Joseph. Livy Josephine Biddle. Yeah, beautiful names. We just never use them. <laughs> we use all the other nicknames to refer to our children. And, and I was thinking about them this week. In fact, I enlisted the help of my daughters because I'm like, hey, what do we call you guys? And I, I wrote a list <laughs> just to kind of give you an idea of some of the names we use in our household. So some of them are, are, are like, they make sense. L, Ellie, Elbel, Jean, Liv, Joe, Jojo, Joey. I like this one, Joerson. <laughs> uh, sis, sister, baby, baby girl, love. And then they all kind of go like downhill from here. Uh, Buns, Nugget, Chica Pica, Poodle Bear, Pumpkin Poodle, and for whatever reason, God only knows, Robin has called our kids on multiple occasions, Susan, all right? <laughs> not that there's anything wrong. If your name is Susan, that's a great name. It's just not my kid's name. And so she's like, Susan, you know, I just don't understand. And we've even given them like a couple's name, like a celebrity couple name when we're trying to call them together. It's Livy and Ellie. So we're like, Lavelle, get over here. So like, we've got all these names, but, but, but like most parents, the only time we actually use their real names is if something is wrong or we need to get their attention. Then and seemingly only then do we say, Eleonora Jean, Livy Josephine, and we use their real name. And that is their cue when they hear their full name to pay attention because whatever's coming out of our mouth next is going to be important. Well, in the life and ministry of Jesus, he was given a lot of different names. People referred to him on many occasions by many names. We sang about one of them earlier. We called him Emmanuel. Some called him Savior, Rabbi, uh, Jesus, the Christ, the One. Here in this scripture, the crowd is referring to him as Jesus of Nazareth, just to name like where he's from. I am a Bob from Burlingame. Like, it's not a creative name, but it's, it's a name. But when it comes to his names, there is unique prophetic significance, a fullness, if you will, to this name that Bartimaeus uses as he calls out to Jesus, son of David. And in light of the fact that when we call to our children by a full name, they're cued to tune in and pay attention to what comes next. When we see this name mentioned in scripture, we are cued in as the reader to pay attention to what comes next. Because after the mention of this name, 
Bartimaeus begins to cry out for something significant. He asks Jesus for mercy. In fact, let me say it like this. I believe that the use of this name brings more clarity to this seemingly odd request for mercy. Because mercy is an odd request for a blind person, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, this guy's probably been on the side of the road. We don't know how long begging for people to give him a handout because he doesn't have the ability to work in their culture. And he's been there for years, suffering, broken, blind. And he gets word that Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah himself, the one who has healed the sick and raised the dead and yes, has opened blind eyes, is coming through town. It would seem logical for him to cry out from the side of the road, Jesus, son of David, heal me. But instead he cries out for mercy. It's an odd request. Why mercy? And what's so significant about this name, the son of David? Well, for that, we need to rewind in the scriptures about a thousand years, and we need to look at a prophetic word given by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23. He says this, for the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name, the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Jeremiah begins to speak about a coming Messiah a thousand years before Jesus ever shows up on the scene. And he says, he will be a king that ushers in an era of righteousness. In, in this king, by the power of his name, he will make it possible for all who currently find themselves unrighteous, impure, unclean, to identify henceforth as righteous and pure and whole. There's something about his name. He will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Our righteousness will no longer be based on our own abilities, our own past, our own performance. It will be based on the fact that when we place our faith in his name, he will give us something that we could not attain by ourselves. He will make all who call upon his name righteous. Now, now that's good news for all generations. Come on, let's take a 30-second preach break here. How many who've called on the name of Jesus are grateful for the fact that you have inherited the righteousness of Christ Jesus? It's not based on what you've done in your past and your performance, even this past week, but you have placed your trust in the finished work of the cross and the name of Jesus Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he keeps no record of your wrong. Romans 3 says that you've been made righteous by simply placing your faith in him. That is good news, and it's worth a baby amen at the 9 o'clock service on a Sunday morning. But while that is good news for all generations, it is particularly good news for a blind man in first century Jericho. Because what we don't see in this text, unless we dig a little bit deeper, is that Bartimaeus' greatest concern was not his sight. It was the condition of his soul. Uh, allow me to explain. So in biblical times, sickness and disabilities, blindness, lameness, deafness, none of it was considered incidental. There was a common belief that blindness and sickness and deaf, and cripple, all of these were actually given as punishment from God. It was a payment, a payback for your sin. 
If God was angry with you because of something you did, his form of payback to you would have been some form of ailment or disability. It was an outward manifestation of an internal spiritual condition. We see this in, in, in John chapter nine. Uh, Jesus heals another man who was born blind and his disciples ask him in the midst of this healing, they said, Jesus, was this guy born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And, and I love Jesus' response. He said, neither. He was actually born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed in his life. Little side note, another preach for another day, but consider this for a moment. What if your current situation and your current problem is not God's punishment, but it's actually an opportunity for him to reveal his glory in your life and show off to some other people? Just a little seed thought for you today. It'll change the way you process and pray for some things. But in their culture, it was widely understood that sickness, blindness, any form of disability was a divine payback for sin. And that allows us a bit more clarity when it comes to this request from Bartimaeus on the side of the road. The reason he did not ask for healing is because he did not believe he deserved healing. He didn't believe he was a candidate to ask for God to heal him. You know, he, he had a much deeper issue and his cry reveals that he knew there was something greater Jesus needed to tend to. And it was not his eyes, it was his soul. Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, I know that I am in this condition because of sin. I know I am suffering with what I'm suffering with right now because I failed. I deserve this. I deserve blindness. I deserve to beg. I deserve this brokenness. I am not worthy to call upon your name, but I am begging you, oh righteous one that was prophesied of, will you enable me to lay hold of this righteousness promise some thousand years ago? Will you give me mercy instead of judgment? This is the mindset of a blind man on the side of the road. But I don't think that he is alone in those feelings. As I said at the beginning of this sermon, I think that there's a lot of believers that have a similar cry. A lot of us who have adopted that 2,000-year-old broken narrative from Jericho, this idea that the plight I'm currently facing is payback for my sin, my divorce, my sickness, my brokenness, my poverty, my need, my suffering. It's a result of sin. And I did this. I did the crime. I deserve to do the time. God must be angry with me. Let's take it a step further. At the conclusion of all of these sermons, you know that we've been opening up these, these altars and making space to pray for a miracle. And we've seen some amazing miracles thus far. Bodies that have been healed, marriages that have been restored, addictions that have been broken. We've seen some, some great stuff over the last few weeks. Thank you, Jojo. Joerson. <laughs> but I wonder how many people don't even feel worthy to come forward for prayer. I wonder how many people come in week in, week out, Sunday after Sunday, and in the back of their mind is that broken 2,000-year-old narrative, I don't deserve to ask God for a miracle. The way I'm living my life right now, I, I, there's no way I can step in to ask God for something that big. And so I'll walk out the door broken and blind 
and I'll do it all over again because I just, I'm not worthy of that. And, and theologically and conceptually, you know that's not true. You, you understand cerebrally the gospel. You, okay, I know that all of the punishment for my sin was poured out on Jesus. And now as I stand before the Father, I, I am right. You, you understand it, you just don't feel it. And because you don't feel it, it's never made its way from your head to your heart. And because it's not in your heart, it can't be a part of your cry. Because only out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. And if you find yourself in that space today, I believe that we are clued in to the way faith breaks through that narrative. I believe this story about a blind guy on the side of the road 2,000 years ago gives us a couple of action steps, a couple of things that faith does when it finds itself broken and blind on the side of the road. And what I'd like to do in our remaining moments together is I want to give you two very significant acts of faith that we see in this text that I believe the Holy Spirit would have you deploy in your life starting today. So for the note takers, number one, you've got to get louder than the lie. Get louder than the lie. Look at what Mark, oh, I'm going to preach. Mark chapter 10 says this, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder. Come on, will you say that with me? But he only shouted louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, This is such an interesting detail. As soon as Bartimaeus begins to cry out, immediately he is met with opposition. The, The crowd, who, mind you, is convinced of the same broken theology as he is, looks at him and says, hey, you have no business calling out to Jesus. You you, you don't get to call out to the Messiah. We all know why you are the way that you are. You just sit there and you stay in your current state. It is that same shame tactic the enemy has used for centuries to silence the cry of a believer. I don't know if this ever happened to you before. It's happened to me more times than I would care to admit. But I'll, I'll be praying. And in the middle of a prayer, I'll I'll be asking God for something significant. We move to the city. God, I pray you'd give us the right place to live. Or, Father, I pray for healing for my daughter. I pray that you'd allow us to buy this building. Or, I pray for open doors or opportunities. I'll be praying something significant. And out of nowhere, in the middle of my prayer, it's like I get sideswiped with shame. Out of nowhere, some sin from the past or some failure in the past, immediately I'm reminded of it. See, like the enemy just throws a curveball at me. And while I'm praying for something significant, I find myself calming down, quieting down, and entering into a space of groveling and apology, forgetting to pray big prayers because I'm so focused on my sin. So has that ever happened to anybody else but me before? Yeah, welcome to the team. I, I remember years ago, I don't know if I've shared this before, but there was a woman, I, I was uh, at our previous church and I was down at the altars praying after a service. And a woman came down and, and she wanted to receive prayer. And she said, hey, I heard that you and your wife had a difficult time getting pregnant. And I said, yeah, we, we did for years. And she's like, my husband and I are trying to get pregnant. And we haven't been able to conceive. And uh, would, you, would you pray for us? And I said, yes, I'd love to. And before I could even lay my hand on her shoulder to pray, she just started sobbing uncontrollably. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? What's wrong? And she's like, I know why God won't give me a baby. So, so well, tell me why. She said, well, when I was a teenager, I had an abortion. And I know that God is still angry with me about that. And 
I had my shot at a child and I missed my shot and his punishment to me now is that I'll never be able to have another child. I understand that. Every time she wanted to ask God, she was reminded of her failure as a teenager when she didn't even know Jesus. That's how it works. It's that same shame tactic. And we all have a version of that. We all have a version of you're not worthy. You don't deserve to ask God for that. That broken logic, that shame and condemnation that come over us and cause us to think we do not qualify to ask God for anything significant. But when we find ourselves in that space, we would be wise to take a cue from the book of Bartimaeus here because he shows us how faith responds in the face of condemnation and shame. What does it say he did? He just got louder. (laughs) He got louder than the voice that was condemning him. Can I tell you one of the greatest tactics you have against shame and condemnation? It's volume. And I'm not talking about being loud just for the sake of being loud. Some of y'all have got that one on lock, okay? Like, I'm not just talking about yelling in the middle of a service for no reason. (laughs) Great, I just invited that for the rest of our time together, awesome. I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about spiritual intensity. I'm talking about something that rises up inside of you that says, wait a minute, I acknowledge that what I'm being told right now is a lie from the pit of hell and I will get louder with the truth of God's word than I will allow this lie to speak over me. Something in you that says, wait, 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 wait. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. Isaiah said he cast my sin into forgetfulness. I've been made white as snow. And Hebrews 4 says that I will be bold in my attempts to come before the throne of God. I don't have to be timid and shameful. I can come with my loud voice to the throne of God and say, this is what I need today. Volume is your friend. There needs to be something inside of you that rises up. You wanna confuse the enemy? Just keep getting louder. Every time you're opposed, just get louder. Oh, you gonna come at me with depression. Watch how I worship even louder this Sunday morning. Oh, the prayer wasn't answered. Watch how I pray even harder next time. Oh, you're trying to divide me right now. Watch while I bless those people that try to curse me. Oh, you want, you want to come at me and tell me we can't buy our building right now? Watch me give $100,000 away to another church in our city just to drop kick the enemy and say, it's not about me. It's about what my Jesus is doing in this place. We're going to keep asking. We're going to keep seeking. We're going to keep knocking. We're going to keep calling because I know that one day, like Bartimaeus, Jesus is going to come up and say, you got my attention. Your faith arrested my attention. What do you want me to do for you? Come on, somebody. It's only 10.06, and he's all ramped up. Let's go. You got to get louder than the lies. You got to get louder than the lies. But secondly, and, and, and this one is more subtle in the text, but I think it's probably one of the most important things we can do in this season of living by faith. Here's what it says. Cast your coat. Cast your coat. There's an interesting detail in this text that is easily skipped over, but it's a major area of faith. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 50. Bartimaeus cast aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. He cast aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. I have a coat here today. 
um, a coat in the times of Bartimaeus uh, was something far more significant than a garment. It was often the only and the most prized possession of, of someone who was begging. At nighttime, that coat would have been their only form of shelter. It would have been shelter from the cold. It was both bed and blanket as they curled up there on the ground to sleep. Uh, during the day, they would take that coat and they would lay it before them. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> they would lay it before them on the cobblestone streets and they would sit on one corner so that they could be comfortable while the other corner was spread out where the other people would walk in hopes of having people drop coins, alms, as they pass by. At the conclusion of the day, that coat would have been used as a old school fanny pack. They would gather up all of their coins from the day and he would walk it over to the marketplace to use it for what little food he might be able to buy with whatever was given to him that day. This was a beggar's only form of security and comfort. It was everything to them. So when Bartimaeus chooses to cast his coat aside, it is no small detail. This is a significant act of faith. This is a disassociation, a divorcing of everything he has known all of his welfare, all of his comfort is being cast aside. It's an act of faith. But, but perhaps what's more significant than the act itself is when it takes place. What did it say? It was after Jesus called him, but before Jesus healed him. Let me say that again. It was after the call, but before the miracle. I'm gonna channel my inner T.D. Jakes, okay? Hold on, y'all didn't hear me over here. Let me come over here and see if these people overhear him. <laughs> it was after Jesus said, come unto me, but before the miracle of God was released in his life. Okay, just making sure. Often one of your greatest barriers to breakthrough is the coat you're wearing when you're called. It's the lifestyle, the comfort, the things you've become accustomed to, they will keep you from what Jesus has next for you. If you are not careful, you will find yourself clinging to the coat you're wearing right now without being capable of stepping into what he has for your future because you refuse to cast that coat aside. And we all have versions of this coat. We, we all have a version of something we're clinging to that Jesus is saying, will you just lay that thing aside? For, for, for some, it is a lot like Bartimaeus. It's something you hate about yourself. It's not something you celebrate. It's that, that sickness or, 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 or that mindset or that inability but it's become so woven into the fabric of who you are that you do not know how to disassociate with it. You have always been the victim. You have always been the needy one. You have always been the codependent. You have always been the insecure person and you do not know how to let those things go because they've attached themselves to you. 
For, for others, it, it may not be something you hate. It could be something that even on the outside looks good, but it will still keep you from the call. It can be the idolization of your career. It can be the toxic relationship you refuse to let go of. It can be pride. It can be greed. Or how about this one? It could be a code of offense. Oh, that's a real comfortable one, isn't it? I'm just going to cuddle up on the side of the road. Can't believe they said that about me. I hate them. <sighs> they did that. I'm, I'm just going to sit here and wait for them to come apologize to me. And there you are on the side of the road, waiting. And you're blind. And you're broken. Here comes the sun. But you can't see him. You can't call out to him because you're clinging to this coat of offense and bitterness. But if you find yourself in this space in any fashion today, here's what I pray you hear more than anything else. I, I pray that these words would haunt you. As Jesus called, what did the crowd say? Hey, get up. He's calling you. Cheer up. Come on. He is calling you. He is calling you to cast that thing aside. He's calling you out of your boat and onto the waters. He's calling you out of predictable, boring, mundane, same kind of Christianity day after day into a new, lively, take some risks kind of faith. He's calling us into a space where we believe for more and we ask for more and we contend for miracles and we see the impossible in our midst. He's calling us, but it's going to cost us some coats. There's some things we will need to cast aside. So, so here is the question I pose to you as we conclude in the next couple of moments, and I'll invite the worship team to come with this. What coat are you clinging to today? Let's get out of this conceptual ideology. Let's make it personal. What are you clinging to today? Jesus said in Luke chapter nine, if anyone wants to follow me, they must daily take up their cross. They must lose their life if they want to follow me. If you try to cling to your life, then you will lose it. But if you cast your life aside for my sake, then you will truly find it. What are you clinging to today? Because listen, I can say this with conviction and in faith. I promise you, whatever miracle is waiting for you on the other side is so much greater than the coat you're clinging to right now. It's so much greater. I was, um, I was reading through some old sermons this last week uh, because this is not the first time I've, I've preached this text before. Um, I've never taught it here in our church, but uh, when Robin and I were youth pastors for a decade, uh, I had preached it a few times. And anytime I preach on a text that I have preached on before, I, I always like to go back and see what I've said to make sure that I'm not saying the same thing. I'm not just regurgitating revelation. Um, I believe that scripture and communication is a lot like manna. It happened in the Old Testament. God told the Israelites, hey, go out and gather something fresh every single day. Don't try to hold on to yesterday's manna because if you do, it's gonna spoil. And I love that about the Bible. There's always something new. There's always something fresh the Holy Spirit wants to speak. 
And I didn't want to talk to a group of adults about what he told me to talk to teenagers about a couple of years ago. So, Lord, what are you saying through this text to our community today? And as I was reading through some of my old notes, I had two revelations. Number one, um, God must love you a lot more than he loved those students. Because <laughs> I said some really sketchy things back in the day. <laughs> some of you who are with me know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> but number two... I realized that the last time I spoke on this text was actually our final night as youth pastors. Um, the text that God had given me to share is we announced to a room of a few hundred teenagers that we were no longer gonna be their youth pastors was this story about a blind man on the side of the road. And in much the same fashion as I've done today in concluding talking about coats, I looked at a group of people and I said, hey, God's calling us to cast our identity aside, to cast our comforts aside. This place that we've known as pastors now for 10 years, it's been our home church for 17 years, but we believe he's calling us into a miracle. He's calling us into another city where there are people that he wants to save and marriages that he wants to see restored and lives that he wants to transform. And I don't know what it looks like yet, it's okay, I can be blind in the process, but I'm gonna cast this thing aside and, and we're gonna follow Jesus into what he's calling us to. And, and as, it, as I read through those notes, it, it just the weight of that settled on me for a second because I'm like, wow, here we are a number of years later and I get to stare at the miracle on the other side of that casting. And I asked myself as I was sitting there, I couldn't help it. What if we hadn't? What if we had clung to our comforts and free parking in front of our house and <laughs> built-in babysitting around the corner with grandparents and a $1,400 mortgage payment? I'm just lamenting at the moment. <laughs> what if we had clung to those things and not cast them? There's so much we would have never seen. We would have never seen the hundreds of people that have come to know Jesus in this space. Not that it would have happened, we just wouldn't have seen it. We would have never seen hundreds of people be baptized in water and experience the death of their old man and a resurrection and a new life. We would have never seen the marriages that have been restored and the addictions that have been broken. There's so much that we would have never seen if we hadn't cast that aside. And, and I'm not suggesting this as a threat, I'm just telling you right now, there are some things that you will never see if you are unwilling to cast the coat aside. But what's on the other side of that is so much greater than the thing you're clinging to right now. So I ask it one last time before we pray. What coat are you clinging to? Holy Spirit, help us to be those that hear the voice of Jesus calling. Help us to be those that don't miss the moment of the sun coming by because we're cuddled up in something that we think is good, but is preventing us from stepping into the miracle you have waiting on the other side. May we be a community that regularly and consistently throws aside any hindrance to what you have for us. May we be louder than the lies and may we cast our coats 
May this community be known for that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna ask today, maybe there is someone in the room whom Jesus is calling, saying, hey, it's time for you to follow me. You've been at a distance, you've, you've walked away, or maybe you've never made a decision to follow him. It says at the conclusion of this story that Bartimaeus, after being healed, he walked down the road with Jesus. I love the word that's used here for healing because it has a far less to do with a physical body and far more to do with a soul. Jesus said, it is your faith that has saved you. And maybe today that is what you need. The miracle you need is salvation. It's to know that things are right between you and God. If that is you, I wanna pray a prayer of commitment before we conclude today. And I always ask if I can see who I'm praying with. If, if that's you and you need to pray along with me this morning, would you quickly lift up your hand and look at me and say, Tim, I need to get things right with God before I leave here today. Got you, bro. Yeah, right on. Thank you in the back, both of you guys. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, okay. I want us to all pray this out loud with those that are making this decision. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name. And the church said, hey, man, come on, let's celebrate every single person making that choice today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.